0: Welcome to the Kings Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. So we are continuing our series, A Soundtrack for a Life, and I want to read to you a part of Psalm 23. Psalm 23 verse 3 says, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Or as the ESV puts it, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord, our shepherd, knows that we need to be in places of refreshing and restoring at times. And he knows how to get us there. As we follow him, we learn that he is the one who gives refreshment. He is the one who restores. That Psalm 87 verse 7 says, all of my springs are in you. In other words, all of the sources of refreshing, all the springs of water that I need, all of the refreshing are in you. All that we need for refreshing flows out of who God is. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 to 21, Luke writes these words as he's recording a preach that Peter gave. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And he will send the Messiah who he appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore all things as he promised long ago through the prophets. In other words... There'll be a time, there are seasons of refreshing as God is restoring. There are times, aren't there, in our lives when we grow weary. There are times when we grow tired. There are times when we drift through life a little bit. Our hearts grow hard or calloused. Our love for God grows cold. And in those seasons, the human soul seems to dry up and become insensitive to the voice of God. And the shepherd comes along and he invites us and he challenges us. He says, repent and believe in Acts. And sorry, in Mark 1.16, Jesus says those words, or as Peter put it in in Acts. He said, repent and turn to God that your sins might be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The Puritans used to believe that there would be wave after wave after wave of God's Spirit throughout the history of the church. And each wave of the Spirit would move us further in the purposes and plans of God until the return of Jesus. And if you look through church history, there are in fact wave after wave after wave of moves of the Spirit that restore or revive or renew or refresh and move us forward. The psalmist in Psalm 42 verse 7 says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have crashed over me. Have you ever experienced a wave of God's Spirit moving you forward in his purpose for you? I can remember standing on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. We were in a place called Narragansett in Rhode Island in the USA. And the waves were incredible. Sam was about 14. He'd gone bodyboarding. And I decided to watch. I stood out in the ocean. I stood probably about this deep in the waves, in the depth of the ocean, as the waves crashed in. And then this wave came crashing in. It lifted me entirely off my feet and crashed me down up the beach somewhere like a piece of driftwood. That's what a wave can do. A wave can pick you up and land you much further on. Put you in another place. I've lived through times and seasons in God like that. There are times when, and I just want to share some testimony with you, something of my story which might relate to your story or make you hungry for something in your story. There are times when i felt so dry and thirsty for God. I remember living through a particular season. I longed for God to move in a more significant way than I'd ever experienced. And I remember being very hungry for him, very thirsty, feeling very dependent upon him. I remember a group of us, would gather, we would do a Sunday evening service and then a group of us would just gather and pray and worship. And it was an open invitation, there was no planned procedure to the time. We just said we're going to seek God and see what he does. And week after week, after month after month, we prayed and we worshipped. We set time aside every week. Not many people came and not a lot happened. But we just kept pressing in. And pressing in and pressing in. See, if you want church as a show that will entertain you, you will hate that. But just some news church isn't a show that entertains you, it's a family on mission that changes the world in the power of Jesus. I'll try that again. It's a family. A mission that's empowered by Jesus to change the world. It's good. And so in this season, I remember just trying to find times on my own to seek God. I would go to places where I could just wait upon him and humble myself and seek him. I remember Jackie and I decided, right, we, we just need. Have you ever felt this? That longing for more of God. Like you know he's here, but you long for more. That it's consuming. It's not a hobby. It's not a pastime. It's not the box you tick. It drives your life. And so I remember we set aside the month of January 1994. We said we're going to just as a couple, we're going to seek God. We had a little terraced house on Speakman Road. In St. Helens and we prayed together. We said we're going to just set this month aside and just seek God. He must speak to us. Yeah. You see, I wonder sometimes when we say, Oh God doesn't speak to me, that we don't make room to actually hear, He's speaking all the time. But there's so many other voices and distractions filling our minds and our hearts that we've not stilled ourselves enough to actually hear the voice of God. And so we began to seek God for a month. And God said to us over that period of time, two phrases that we did not understand. He said to us, there will be a fire in a place of waterfalls. And at the end of the month, we thought, this is more difficult than the times crossword. This is like, how do you work out what that actually means? But you see, I think God sometimes speaks to us in those kind of ways, to test our heart. Because if we're proud in our heart, we'll say, well, I don't understand, so stuff it. But if we'll humble ourselves and say, I'm going to pursue God and find out what he's saying, then God draws near to the humble. He resists the proud. So I think he sometimes gives us clues rather than absolute definitive things to test our heart. And so we we pressed in and we carried on Worshiping, seeking God. These Sunday evening prayer things were still going. And then Eldon Corsi, who just a joy of a man to have known. I I wish you'd met him if he hadn't. He could see what was happening in us and he said, there's there's a move of God happening in Toronto. I think you should go. The church has raised some money to get you there, get one of you there anyway. We can't raise the money to get you back, but we'd love to send you. (laughs) No problem raising the money to get us to another continent. Bringing us back. A lot more difficult. Anyway, they, they, I went. I went to Toronto. I went to this place. And I remember just encountering God. It wasn't phenomena that blew me away. I met with God. And I remember I had a, I had a free day one of the days. And I, I, I hired a car and I drove to Niagara Falls. And I remember getting on the Maid in the Mist boat that takes you right up to the falls. And as you're getting nearer to the falls, you start to get wet because the spray hits you and everybody goes inside. I went outside. And I stood on the deck. I got soaked. And as I'm stood there, I'm thinking, in a place of waterfalls, there'd be a fire. And so I came back. I came back from Toronto, and we those meetings sort of exploded. We had three years of, of phenomenal times in God. We had people encountering angels appearing in their cars, in their living room, in bedrooms rather. We had people miraculously healed. We would gather to worship God. I remember I would we would start the meeting at maybe six thirty on a Sunday evening, and I would be locking the doors as people we eventually able to leave after midnight as God just moved wave after wave after wave for th- about three years. And it wasn't just in meetings. I remember Jackie having this passion to reach people in our neighborhood for Jesus because of this. And so she started just knocking on the doors on our street and saying, why don't you come to our house for a coffee and someone will tell you their life story. And Jackie led a number of our neighbours to Jesus and they set off on a discipling journey together. And as that wave began to recede, that wave in us began to rise up of we need to see disciples who make disciples. It's not enough to have good meetings. Good meetings are better than bad meetings, but good meetings won't change the world. Disciples of Jesus will. And disciples of Jesus who then gather together are in, in... are combusted by the Spirit when we meet. Please believe me, since becoming a follower of Jesus, I've regularly gathered with other believers every single week on a regular basis during the week as well. So I'm not against meetings, but I'm saying this, it's the fire of God that you encounter in those times that sends you out into the world. You know, you listened to Abby earlier saying, About worship and the importance of worship. And about fellowship and the importance of fellowship. And mission, the importance of mission. If you only take one of those, it won't cut it. Oh, it's all about intercession. Yes, it is. But there's more. It's all about worship. Yes, it is. But there's more. It's all about mission. Yes, it is. But there's more. You need to be in fellowship, worship, intercession, and on mission. Because God doesn't want to fill us up so that we just get fat. He wants to fill us up so we get fit and out on the mission of God. Wave upon wave upon wave. And so as that wave receded, this wave of us passionately wanting to take this gospel out began to hit us and stir us. And out of that, King's Church happened with other things that contributed to it. Are you hungry for God? Let's have a conversation. I know sometimes we can be a quiet church when people are preaching, and I get that. I'm not the most demonstrative, but I need you to have a conversation with me this morning. Are we hungry for God? Is your soul thirsty for more of him? Are you willing to humble yourself and pray? And it's inconvenient. And it doesn't fit in. And it means dropping something to be somewhere else. Because all I can say is this. Every significant move of God that I am aware of, and I have studied them for nearly 40 years, starts with prayer. Now you might say, well, does prayer make God move? Do roosters make the sun rise? Uh, sunrise?" No. But when God is arising, something joins in our hearts that cries out to him, the sovereign Lord, and says, God, we're ready to move with you. Amen. God's ready to move. He's looking for people who are ready to move with him. I've never been happy to have a passing interest in God. It's never been a hobby for me. Since I became a follower of Jesus. This is either everything or it's nothing. And I've decided since 1981. This is everything. There are times that's very inconvenient. There are times that means I have to do things that I don't want to do. There are times that means I don't do things I do want to do. But I have a bigger goal ahead of me. And it's him. It's not even a move of God. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's, he's, he's won my heart. He restores our soul. I love this in Psalm 51. It says, creating me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Do you need the joy of your salvation? Remember, we're in a conversation. Do you need the joy of your salvation? Or are you overflowing with joy every morning? I'm not. I need more of the joy of my salvation filling my life. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now, David, the psalmist who wrote that song, this is part of the soundtrack to his life. He'd sinned. He'd made some bad choices, which began by him choosing to be not where he should be. And it led to a massive decline into sexual sin into adultery, into betrayal, and even into death. And then in Psalm 51, we get the soundtrack to his life playing, where he calls out to God. He's repenting and believing, like Peter said in the sermon that Luke recorded, like Jesus said in the sermon that Mark recorded. Repent and believe. He's asking God, God, will you restore me? The good news is the Lord is our shepherd and David knew that the Lord was his shepherd and that he would restore his soul. He would lead him in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Part of the soundtrack to my life has been the music of Keith Green. Is anyone familiar with Keith Green? If you're not, look, have a look on YouTube. Keith Green, incredible missionary, sadly died as a young man in a plane crash. But just an incredible passion for God. And one of his songs he says this, he sings, My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how it ought to be. Alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew with the wine of your blood. Please God. Perhaps this morning the soundtrack to our lives needs to be like Psalm fifty-one, ten to 12, which I read earlier. Create in us a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Uphold us with a willing spirit. God is so gracious. He meets us where we are. But he's so gracious, he doesn't leave us where we are. If the grace of God you're encountering isn't changing you, you need to ask, is it the grace of God you're encountering? Because the grace of God forgives us, accepts us, and changes us. Paul writes to Titus, the grace of God has appeared that has taught us to say no to unrighteousness. Wow. He even works in us that willing spirit, hold a willing spirit. In other words, the spirit will work within us to help our desires line up with the de- desires of God. God is our guide. He guides me. Isaiah 46, 9 and says, 10 says, I am God. There is no other. I am God. There's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand. I will accomplish my purpose. God knows the end from the beginning. Isn't that an interesting way of saying it? He doesn't say he knows the beginning from the end. He purposefully says, He doesn't write the Bible accidentally. I know the end from the beginning. God knows where it's going. And God knows how it starts. You see, we live our lives sequentially from past to present to future. God moves in time and out of time. We're in it. God can almost pick time up. And examine it. Isn't that interesting? He creates time. He's the original time lord. (laughs) He, we, we get, we're stuck in time. He made it. So he looks at the end and says, I know how this works out. Because he's both in it and outside of it. And says, I can see the end and the beginning. So I can put all the pieces together in the middle. If only we'll walk with him. I wonder, if our God so small that he's trapped in time in our thinking? You have a bigger God than that. He's not trapped in time. He's eternal. He created time. Time is in His hands. Do you get it? My times are in your hands. Wow. So, this is the God that we're saying guides us. Isn't that good? Because he knows where he's going and he sees it all. He's loving, he's wise, he's for us, not against us, he's behind us and before us. In fact, Paul in one of his sermons in Acts 17 says, in him we live and move and have our being. It's like the atmosphere in which we live and the one who's within us is God himself. He's the one who says, now this is the way, walk in it. In our country, shepherds walk behind the flock, don't they? I'm sure you've heard this before, and, and they shoo the flock along. That's a technical word. They shoo <laughs> No, I made that up. They move the flock along. In the Middle East, they walk in front of the flock, and the flock follows. There's occasions in Israel where, you, where I've heard people say they've been on a tour, maybe, in a bus, and two shepherds have been crossing the road. It sounds like a joke, but it's not. And the two flocks completely intermingle in the middle of the road, and the two guys take no notice of the traffic. They have a good old chat. And I remember the person who relayed this story to me saying, I was thinking, how are they ever going to distinguish which sheep belongs to which person? And the shepherds just say something and walk. And the sheep know his or her voice and follow him or her. They just divide out. That's who's in front of us. That's who's guiding us. We're followers of Jesus and we get to listen to the Good Shepherd. Seriously listen to him. That means reading the Bible. Staying connected with God's people. Being active on mission. If you want to meet with Jesus, come out on mission. Or live as a missionary in your workplace. Say something about Jesus in your workplace. Live it in your life. Say something. You're on the front line every day of the week. If you're in the workplace, school or college, God bless you. That's what God has for you. It's a great place to be, to be a missionary for Jesus because God's got you there. And you can share the good news of Jesus with your words and your deeds over a prolonged period with the same group of people. You can shine his light into those places. But also, in addition to that, to skill you up in that, come out on mission with us. Over the years, I've been. In, I've noticed how busy people get whenever I use the word evangelism. We're going out on evangelism. I'm busy. I've not even said when yet. I am busy. I will be busy when you tell me when. It was out on Friday. Myself and Ian we were up in Morecambe. We, we had a, it was great. We're trying to plant this gospel into Morecambe. I know that God's already doing great things in Morecambe. We're coming playing a little part. Trying to pioneer up in the... And we had a team of people who were training on Friday to go out and do mission, tell people about Jesus. And we went out, Ian and I were sent as a two, we went along the street, we met this lady, I won't tell you her name, but within about 15 minutes, we'd had the opportunity to offer prayer to her, which she was happy for us to pray. And so using the very simple three circles tool that, King's Kids even showed us the other week, didn't they? Just using that simple tool, took her through the gospel. And there's an opportunity for that to continue. She didn't there and then say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But she's certainly on a journey. You can join in. Jesus is at work on the streets of our nation. Come and join in with him. Come and join in. Or in the neighbourhoods or networks your missional community are reaching out to. We get to be missional communities, missional households, not fellowship groups. Not just meeting to read the Bible, pray, and be busy when we're doing mission. But to go out with the gospel. And to share it with the neighbourhoods and networks. And that will require dying to self. Using your voice and speaking to people about Jesus. But if you want to have some of the experiences that Abby was talking about earlier... They won't happen watching Netflix. You've got to be on mission. And that might be in your workplace. That might be in your streets or your school or your college. Or out on the streets or in a neighbourhood or in a network. But God's already there. Let's go and join in. I have no chance of finishing this sermon. I'm just... Letting you know that I really have none of it. And a lot of what I'm saying isn't even in this sermon. <laughs> but I sense it's what God wants to say to us. What are the right paths? He says, you lead me along the right paths or paths of righteousness. The book of Hebrews says, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Hebrews 10.14. In other words, when you become a follower of Jesus, God says you are right with God. You couldn't get more right. It's all because of the blood of Jesus. Positionally, you are absolutely right with God because Jesus died and rose again. And you've relied on that sacrifice. Being made perfect those. He says, one sacrifice is made perfect forever. So that's it. Perfectly saved. Those who are being made holy. So it's not, I'm served, I can live as I please. You see, you could live as you please before you knew Jesus. Couldn't you? You could. You could choose to disobey God before you knew him. You didn't need to know Jesus to disobey him. The difference that happens when you become a Christian is the option to obey Him comes into play. You've been set free to become conformed to the image of Christ. You couldn't do that before. Now you can. So the freedom we've got in Christ is not a freedom to disobey, you were already free to do that. It's a freedom to obey. It's a freedom to say, yes, Jesus. It's a freedom to say, you are Lord, I am not Lord. It's a freedom to say, your will be done, Jesus. This is very unpalatable. It kicks against something deep within us that demands our life. But you see, we gave our life to Jesus if we're really a Christian. The aim of our lives as followers of Jesus is not to so blend in with the values of our society that there is no noticeable difference between the way we live and the way that those who are not following Jesus lives. If there is never a point where non-Christians are saying to you, well, that's a bit odd. Why are you doing that? That's weird. Our goal is not to be not weird. No, hang on, let me run that again. Our goal is not to be weird But our goal is also not to be avoiding appearing to be weird if being weird involves obeying Jesus. I think I got there with that sentence. (laughs) Jackie talked about the other week, didn't she? When painting, the contrast between a black paint and a lemon yellow. And sometimes we're very, it's so easy just to blend in. And Jesus is saying, You know, light tends not to blend in with darkness. It tends to offer a real viable better option. Salt tends not to just blend in. It tends to transform. Our goal is not to live for pleasure or comfort or possessions, but for the glory of Jesus. I need to move on very quickly. In that most famous of sermons in Matthew 5 through to 7, Jesus preaches what's now known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he says these words in Matthew seven thirteen to 14, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. The reason the broad road is broad is because we were all on it. The narrow road is narrower because some people choose to get off it. And I don't know if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I referenced John Bunyan's amazing picture story of the Pilgrim's Progress, where the pilgrim gets to the narrow gate, and he enters through the narrow gate, and the advisor is there helping him says to him, now if you want to head to what's called the celestial city in Pilgrim's Progress, in other words, to eternity with God, if you want to get there from the narrow gate, you're going to have to walk on the narrow road. That's the road that leads to life. And Pilgrim's like, well, what about the broad road that everybody's on? He said, well, the broad road is going to wind all the way That you're walking the narrow road. And it will keep crossing the narrow road. The broad road will keep crossing the narrow road. And there will be the options for you to be distracted and take off onto the wrong path. So you need to be very discerning to stay on the narrow road. And friends, that's life, isn't it? There are so many options to step out of the best that God has for us. So many options to wander away from it. But the Lord is our shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness. This isn't an exercise in self-effort. It's simply following the good shepherd. If we simply follow this good shepherd, we stay on the narrow path. Peter puts it like this. You all were like sheep going astray, but now... You've returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew six thirteen, Lead us not into temptation. James 1, tells uh, us, But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desires. Now, we all will face temptation. We're all vulnerable to temptation. And temptation is not a sin it's when we yield to temptation that's a sin and i've not got time to fully unpack this because of time but let me read this incredible couple of verses about the lord jesus that hebrews captures for us in hebrews 4:15 to 16 we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you yield to a temptation, you've yielded to it. But if you resist it, it might come back even stronger. And you resist it, it might come back even stronger until you break the power of that temptation in the name of Jesus and it leaves. What that verse is telling us is that in every possible area of temptation, Jesus was tempted to the absolute maximum level of temptation and did not sin. He's our shepherd. So, when you're facing a temptation, you can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am being te- The best way to deal with temptation is not to pretend you're not being tempted. Because God knows. Go to Him and say, Jesus, I am being tempted to do this. Please, would you give me grace? You know how it feels. Isn't that good? He knows how it feels. Would you give me grace to say no? And that's a prayer he's always wanting to say, yeah, I'll help with that, of course. There's so much more I wanted to say around that. Uh, and I would encourage you to read Matthew's account of the temptation of Jesus and, and just think through how Jesus overcomes temptation using the word of God and dealing with those underlying issues. But we'll, we'll look at that another time for the sake of time's what I would simply say is this, the best way to avoid temptation is to positively follow the good shepherd. It's very hard to do nothing and be good, isn't it? Have you found that? Just sit there and be good. Really? That's really hard. But to be actively doing something that's different helps us to not fall into temptation. How does the shepherd guide us? A number of ways through the Bible, obviously. Through the peace of God, uh, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds, acts like an umpire telling us what's in and out. So if if you feel you should do something, it will always be in line with scripture. God will give you a peace about it or not. If there's no peace, don't go with it. Prophetically, he will often send people to confirm it, like in Acts 13 for Paul and Barnabas. Circumstances, maybe not the strongest indication, but it should be factored in. And wise advice, Proverbs eleven fourteen, along with many others, says where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counsellors there is safety. So the wisdom of God through one another. And then finally, and I'm going to just say this rather than unpack it. All of this, all of this activity of the good shepherd is not for our sake. We benefit from it. And again, this is very counter to our culture. Our culture says, it's all about me. There was a lovely song years ago, I used to love it. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, for your glory and your fame. The the danger is when we sing, it's all about me, Jesus. It's all about me, for my glory and my fame, for my comfort and my ease, for my well-being, for my convenience. For his name's sake. The reason all of this is happening is for the glory of God. You see, every Bible story is for the glory of God. Noah and the ark, who's the, who's the hero? It's not Noah. It's God. Abraham and Sarah and the miraculous birth of Isaac, who's the hero? Abraham and Sarah, no. God. Moses delivering the people from Egypt, who's the hero? Moses. No, because without the power of God, Moses is just going for a walk. It's God. Daniel in the lion's den, who's the hero? Daniel, he stood in faith. No, God kept the lion's mouths closed. The hero is God. Peter and John and the healing of the man at the beautiful gate. Who's the hero? Peter and John because of their faith. No, because they could have said anything they wanted. If God hadn't healed him, he's not getting healed. God's the hero. The amazing revelation of John the Apostle. What a man of faith and love for God. Is John the hero? No. Because if God hadn't given the revelation, there would be no revelation. It's always for his name's sake, it's always for his glory. But then it overflows into our well being, our blessing. And it's not that he's egocentric. It's that he's God. It's not that he's saying, I demand you to do this to make me feel better. He's just saying, this is how it is. Without him, we don't even exist. And so he deserves our glory, he deserves our praise, he deserves our honor. refreshes my soul he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake or he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness but again for his name's sake we hope you enjoyed this message to find out more about King's Church Warrington visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram